1: today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
0: Real love is calling,
2: You'll notice that this is basically a guy who's looking at life in the rearview mirror and he's writing with a lot of regret. He's looking at his life, and he's looking at the conditions of his life, and he's looking at the fruit of his life, and he's looking at life experience, life success, life challenges, life randomness, all these various aspects of life, and he's looking at life in the rearview mirror, and he writes Ecclesiastes. He's basically going to say, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, lived my life to its fullest, and yet, I was empty.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we find that even after a most incredible life, full of the most exceptional experiences, Solomon was left feeling empty. Pastor Gary teaches us that even if we are able to accomplish the best things in life, we will end up feeling unfulfilled. Only through a relationship with God can we truly find a consistent satisfaction. For only through Him do we find an eternal stability capable of loving us beyond the boundaries of time. If you feel your life is lacking, look to Jesus. Only He can quench your thirst for purpose. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, with part 1 of his message A Full Life on Empty. I'll be- You'll
2: find the your connection, run your new life. We're starting a new book study together today, so turn in your Bibles if you would to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. On Sundays, we study the Bible cover to cover here at Cornerstone. We go from Genesis to Revelation and We finished the book of Proverbs last week, so today we're starting into the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't have a Bible, we're happy to provide one for you. The ushers are coming up and down the aisles. Just raise a hand and they'll be happy to hand you a Bible. And while you're turning there to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, by the way, in the church Bibles, that's page 497... I did want to just give a warm welcome. All of our services are streamed live, as most of you know, and we have some people today watching from Puerto Rico and Frankfurt, Germany. So let's welcome those watching today online. All right, who's ready for a new book study together? Come on, you can do better than that. Who's ready for a new book study All right, that's enough. Thank you very much. Whatever. All right, chapter one. Let's look together. First 11 verses I'll read from chapter one. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Well, aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Keep reading with me. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing. "...nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow." So as I try to do whenever we start into a new book study in our journey straight through the Bible, I try to give a little bit of background, a little bit of context to this book. And so for those of you who like to take notes, Ecclesiastes is from a Greek word spelled pretty similarly, just with Ks instead of Cs, uh, and pronounced uh, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, meaning one who calls or gathers the ecclesia. Now, the ekklesia is just another Greek word that means church or means assembly. Ecclesia literally in Greek means the called out ones. That's what the church is. We're to be called out from the world and unto the Lord. Not that we're separate or detached from the world because we need to be salt and light in the world. But we're called out to live a life differently for the glory of God. That's ecclesia in the Greek. And the ecclesiastes was the the one who is over the ecclesia, the one who calls together the church, the one who calls together the assembly. And so the ecclesiastes is basically the pastor or the teacher slash slash preacher. And if you'll notice, we find that word in verse 1 of chapter 1. It starts, the words of the teacher. Now, if you have a new King, King James Version or an, uh, an ESV Version, uh, it'll say preacher instead of teacher, but we're talking the same thing. Ecclesiastes means teacher or preacher. We kind of anglicize that Greek word, and, and more so we pronounce it Ecclesiastes, this book. Uh, if you were reading this in a Hebrew Bible, which is the original language of the Old Testament, uh, this book is called uh, Koelet, Koelet, Meaning, again, teacher or preacher. Now, the teacher or preacher of this book is the one who was inspired by God to write this. And this ends up being a reflection of his own life. The one writing this is writing from personal experience and being inspired by the Lord. So exactly who is this person? Well, his name is not given to us anywhere in this particular book, but we can understand who he is ...by looking at how he describes his identity. If you'll notice the latter part of verse 1, it says the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Well, there was only one son of David who ever ruled as king in Jerusalem, and that was his son Solomon. So Solomon is the one inspired by the Lord to write this. This is somewhat his journal. This is somewhat of a sermon that he's writing from personal life experience. And um, as he writes this, he, he writes it as a testimony of the latter years of his life. Now, Solomon is the one who wrote three books of the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And those three books are arranged in that order in our Bibles, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs. But they are not really in the order in which they were written. Most Bible scholars believe that Solomon wrote Proverbs early in his life, giving all this wisdom while he was still young. And he wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life, and he wrote Song of Songs or Song of Solomon in the middle of his life. Because when you look at how Ecclesiastes unfolds, you'll notice that this is basically a guy who's looking at life in the rearview mirror. And he's writing with a lot of regret. He's looking at his life, and he's looking at the conditions of his life, and he's looking at the fruit of his life, and he's looking at life experience, life success, life challenges, life randomness, all these various aspects of life, and he's looking at life in the rearview mirror, and he writes Ecclesiastes. He's basically going to say, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, lived my life to its fullest, and yet, I was empty. Lived life to the fullest, and yet... I was empty. I mean, this is the diary of thousands of people. People who live life to the fullest, and yet they get to some point in their life, and they realize, I've done all this, I've experienced all this, I've accomplished all this. Why do I feel so empty? Now, it might be curious for you, because when you think, well, the, well, okay, that might be a normal thing that people think, but why would Solomon think this? I mean, he's the king of Israel, he follows the succession from his father, King David. Why, of all people, would King Solomon write like this at the end of his life, being rather disillusioned with life, being rather uh, jaded about life and cynical about life? Well, there's a background story to that that I'll get into in a minute because I don't think that we can appreciate Ecclesiastes unless we first understand the life of Solomon leading up to why he writes the way he does in this final book of his life. But first... Let me explain this. There are two general ways to interpret the book of Ecclesiastes. Two different lenses that you can look through. And I will tell you that Bible scholars are divided about which lens is the right lens to look through in understanding and interpreting the book of Ecclesiastes. Here are those two lenses. The first lens is the idea that Solomon wrote this uh, venting. That he is disappointed in the outcome of life, and he's disappointed with God in the process. That he's just completely venting about how life has been random, unpredictable, disappointing, frustrating, even though I've accomplished all these things, I've done wonderful things, I've been very successful, been very wealthy... But I'm upset and frustrated at the way life has turned out. So some say that you read that book in terms of he's venting and that he really walked away from the Lord near the end of his life. And some scholars say we're not even sure if we're going to see Solomon in heaven because, uh, because of the way that he walked away from the Lord near the end of his life. That's one lens. The other lens is that he's not really venting, he's warning And he's trying to tell everybody, learn from my life of all the mistakes and bad choices I made because it didn't go well for me. Despite the fact that I experienced tremendous success, had a lot of money, a lot of women, a lot of everything. I did it all, been there, done that. And yet I felt empty. And so I don't want anyone else to go down that path. And learn from me and my mistakes. And then he summarizes it at the very end of this book. There's 12 chapters to it. At the very, very, very end, he talks about here's the final conclusion I've come to realize in in light of all of this. And because because of of the closing conclusion, which is a very wonderful way that he comes all the way full circle with all of this. I believe, so my slant is that the second lens is a better way to interpret Ecclesiastes, that he eventually does come back to God, and he writes about it at the very, very end of this book, but he expresses all of this other stuff to help us understand, don't go the path I went. So you're going to have to endure, to get to that last little bit, you have to endure 11 and a half chapters of Solomon sounding like Eeyore in the hundred acre wood. But that's what we have to get through till, till we finally realize his ultimate conclusion. He came to realize something at the end of his life, but he's going to moan a lot for 11 and a half chapters. He's brutally honest. And I love that about this book. He's brutally honest. He's altogether frustrated with life, though he's experienced everything to its fullest. He is completely frustrated by life, and he writes about that frustration. And I'm glad that this book is included in Scripture because I think it really expresses the sentiment of a lot of people. You see, Solomon didn't have a question as to whether God existed. He was not an atheist. Solomon's question was whether God mattered. That's what a lot of people wonder. If if life is kind of unpredictable and there are random things that happen and a lot of which is not fun and happy, even for people who try to do the best they can, even for Christians who try to honor God and yet things unravel and life has twists and turns and there's difficulties and challenges and heartache, then what, what does it even matter that we follow God? And th- these are, it's a very thought-provoking book because he lays out the realities of life And how he has lived his life and the things that he's experienced and how he's become a bit jaded and cynical and confused and frustrated. And he even expresses some of that frustration about God. And I think that this book is wonderfully practical because it's going to touch some of you right in that same place where you have been wondering similar things. You know, if God is so good, why has this happened? And why did that happen? And, and I tried to do my best, and still this mess resulted. In, and so if these things are going to happen, it's all unpredictable, and there's no guarantees in life. then you know, why, why should I follow God? And, and why should he be a part of the equation of my life? So I think, I think this, is, this is a very challenging book, but in a good way. And so this is, this is how Solomon expresses himself near the end of his life. Now, how did Solomon get to that place? What's the backstory to a guy who was one of the most powerful men on earth at the time that he lived, about 900 B.C., to the place where he's writing like this? I mean, the opening dialogue here is meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So we're we're going to talk about that, but in in order to understand the meaninglessness that he talks about here, uh, here's another important point to recognize about this book. Thirty-eight times in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon uses the word meaningless in English. Meaningless, that's in the translation I'm reading from, but in New King James and ESV, it uses the word vanity. Vanity or meaningless. Meaningless. But we have to understand the Hebrew, the original language, in order to get the meaning of this word. And the Hebrew word is Hevel, Hevel, H-E-V-E-L. And Hevel literally means vapor, smoke, or mist. And figuratively, it's referring to something transitory, fleeting, or unsatisfactory. So when he says life is meaningless, he doesn't mean life has no meaning. He means it is Hevel meaning it's very fleeting, it's transitory, and like smoke or vapor, it's hard to grasp. You ever tried to really grasp life and understand it completely and then just when you kind of think you have a little understanding of how life works, then it just evaporates and now you have to start all over again about, well, that, that didn't work out the way I thought and I thought I understood life and, and I thought I grasped it a little bit. Well, it's Hevel. It is, it is like a, vi- a vapor, a mist, a smoke. It, that word describes, by the way, our lives in general, that we're here for a moment then we're gone. James talks about that. So we're like a vapor, we're like a mist. Life is very short in the scheme of things. The life you have on earth is very short, but it's also very transitory. There's things about life that's hard to grasp, it's hard to figure out. It's like trying to grab at wind or trying to grab at, at vapor or smoke and that's the word that he, that he uses here so he's not saying hey life is worthless you know and and it's without meaning even though meaningless is the word used in the niv he's saying it's hevel in the in the hebrew it, it is hard to figure out sometimes it's hard to grasp it doesn't always make sense can you relate to that right Life does not always make sense. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to figure out. It's hard to, certainly hard to predict and, and hard to even make sense out of when you look in the rearview mirror. So that's important to understand going into this study, that he uses this word 38 times, but he means it in the sense of it's, uh, life is transitory, life is fleeting, and life is hard to grasp. Now, how did he end up in this bad place? Because it, it, it is a bad place. I mean, you read this book and you think to yourself, keep all sharp items away from Solomon because he just sounds like he's in a bad bad place. Here's how we got there. Solomon started out really well. But then his life tanked. And here's how he started. You don't need to turn there, but back in 1st Kings chapter 2, Solomon becomes king of Israel. He becomes king of Israel after his father King David dies. Now, when you do the chronology of when Solomon was born, it is likely that Solomon became king at the age of 17 or 18. Now, Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, said even younger. Josephus said he was 14. So let's let's cut the difference and say maybe he was 16. He's young. He's a young guy. And you've just been handed daddy's kingdom. You're now in charge of the most powerful kingdom on earth at this time, 900 B.C. And the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 3 that God appears to Solomon in a dream and says to Solomon, ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Now, can you imagine if God showed up and asked you that? Name one thing you want. What do you want? Now think just I want you to think for just a moment. Think what is that one thing? What's the one thing you would ask for? And don't don't over spiritualize it. I know you're in church. World peace and everybody to come to know Jesus. All right, well, great. We all want that, but I mean, in the moment you're you're being given anything, most people would ask, give me wealth, give me fame, give me popularity, give me position, give me, or maybe practical things like just give me my own lane on I-95. Just mine. (laughs) Nobody else's, just mine. So whatever it might be, think for a moment what thing you would ask for. Now, be careful. Be careful what you ask for. It reminds me of this story about this older couple that was taking a stroll on the beach together. And they stumbled upon a little bottle. And they pulled the cap off the bottle and out came a genie. It's a, it's a true story. Go with me. <laughs> and the genie looked at the couple and said, you each get one wish, ladies first. And so the wife said, well, my one wish, my one wish would be that I'd get to spend the rest of my life with my hubby here on a deserted tropical island, just the two of us. And poof, in that moment, they were both on this beautiful deserted tropical island. And then the genie turns to the husband and says, all right, now it's your turn. And he says, well, seeing as how we're both 60 years of age, and now that we're alone on this tropical island, just the two of us, my wish would be that my wife here would be 30 years younger And poof, he became 90. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for, my friends. Anyway, so Solomon here, he's very careful about what he asks. And even though he's like 16, 17, I mean, he, he barely has his driver's license at this point. But he says, here's what I want, God. What I want is wisdom and discernment so that I can properly govern these people of yours. He asks for wisdom and discernment. And God was so impressed by what he asked. God said, because you did not ask for long life, riches, or the death of your enemies, I will give you the wisdom and discernment you're asking for, and I'll throw in those three as well. And that's what God does. Solomon is a blessed man, and he has wisdom beyond his years. But how many of you understand that God can give you something, and you squander it? And Solomon squandered it. He didn't apply his own wisdom that he received from God. A guy who wrote the book of Proverbs didn't even heed his own advice. And he squandered what God had given to him. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, it tells us that he made a very unwise decision. And that was to form a political alliance with the king of Egypt, the pharaoh of Egypt. And to seal the deal in this political alliance, he marries the daughter of the pharaoh of Egypt. That was a very dangerous move because A, he didn't trust God to keep peace and so he had to form this political alliance but B, because he married a woman who was a pagan worshiper. She worshipped the gods of the Egyptians. The Jews had been delivered from the slavery of Egypt. They had forsaken those false gods and now Solomon was in effect saying I'm going to bring all those gods back into my own home by marrying this woman. And he didn't stop there. Bible says he had an appetite for women and he formed all these different political alliances with all these neighboring nations by marrying the royal daughters of the kings of those neighboring nations to the tune of 700 wives and in addition 300 concubines. That's what the Bible tells us. And the Bible tells us that because he married these women who were worshipers of false gods, that they brought this false god influence into his home, thus into the nation. He let them into his heart and thus it corrupted the whole nation. And the Bible says that Solomon turned his heart away from the Lord. And he started worshiping the gods of the foreign wives that he had brought into his home. And there's nothing wrong with the, the interracial marriage or, or different nations marrying. It's foreign in the sense of they're worshiping pagan gods, foreign gods that aren't real. And it corrupted his own heart. And this is what the Bible says in 1 Kings 11. You don't need to turn. Let me just read it. 1 Kings 11, 1-4. to King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, You must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray.
1: Find the corner your connection, run towards your new. Life. Though the Book of Ecclesiastes views the world through human eyes, the authority of God cannot be denied. True, the world is in chaos, but God is still in control. There is hate, but there's also love. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can continue to strive to offer hope to the people around us. Today, we pray you've been encouraged in your faith. We'd love to pray for you as well. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Be sure to join Pastor Gary next time to continue studying verse by verse through this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to listen to Cornerstone Connection on our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find a link to our mobile app Take Pastor Gary's teachings with you on the go and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can even send us prayer requests or join us live for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. Find a link to our app under the teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our time with you is quickly drawing to a close today. We're so glad you tuned in for Pastor Gary's teaching in the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us next time to dive back into God's Word right here on Cornerstone Connection.
0: They say
2: you're a wandering soul, that like you've got no place to go, but still you know, still you know. you're know you not alone.